Many of you know I love the theme of beauty and to think of God and his beauty and Jesus as the incarnation of his beauty is a rich and wonderful truth worthy of serious thought and worship. So thank you, Bob, for that. And we come now to uh, our time in God's word and uh, the marathon of Easter weekend uh, and the, uh, the sharing of uh, what I shared earlier today has, uh, has, has got me taking a break from 1 Corinthians this weekend. And you can see that already on the screen. You know, as our, as our church uh, continues to grow, one of the things that we work hard at is to, uh, to continue to talk about the basic DNA of our church. You know, there are core values for Bethel Church that make it a unique church. And it's true of every church, but it's definitely true of our church. Things that are foundational to what we do, why we do it, some of how we do it. And so as, as people come to the church and become a part of our church family, we, it's easy to assume, oh, they, sort, they get that or they understand all of that. And that's not at all the case. And so we have, to, we have to constantly go back to some of the themes that have become core values for our church and to keep them as core values of our, of our church. That's one reason we have the Connection Point class, frankly, is to say, hey, as you're considering becoming a part of our church, here are things you need to know about who we are. This is, this is who we are. And so uh, you're welcome to come, but know who we are. <laughs> and uh, this is one reason that there are, there are certain things that we uh, talk a lot about. Uh, if, you, if you come here for any amount of time, you're going to hear it's all about him over and over and over again. Why? Because we want to keep this centered on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We embrace Colossians 1.18 so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So we go back to that. We pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it. We talk about uh, the three E's. What, what is basic Christianity at, at Bethel Church? It's the three E's. Exalt, experience, and engage. Exalt that life is worship, and corporate is priority, but also everything as an act of worship to God. Experience that uh, as a church, we, are, we, have, we have this horizontal thing that we do as we love one another and serve one another, and that this is vitally important to basic Christianity is to see us in community with one another. And then finally, engage, which is simply to say that uh, we are called to serve. We're to engage in service, and we're going to see in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit has gifted us, every one of us, gifted, uniquely empowered by God to do something that God views as vitally important in the church, or he wouldn't have given you the gift in the first place. And we're going to get to that. But engage is, is important. So we talk about that. We, we have buzzwords around here. Expository preaching. You come here for any amount of time, you're probably going to hear expository preaching, and you're like, what's that? Well, it's what we do here. Uh, oblatunity is a buzzword. Some of you are like, I never heard that word. We made it up. It's a made-up word. It's a Bethel word. It's really a Steve word that became a Bethel word, or I hope becomes a Bethel word. And I've done messages on it. I'm not going to get into that now. Um, you know, uh, we do what we do because he is who he is, is another one. So... These are all things that we go back to and have to go back to to keep it as a core value of our church. And I want to talk with you today about one of those core values. 
You see it on the screen, living life with a loose grip. This is something that we desperately need, and it's something that we need to understand, and it's something that we need to apply. Living life with a loose grip is easy. It is easy when life's providence is going good. We have a song that we sing often around here uh, called Blessed Be Your Name. And there are lyrics in there that are really great, and there are lyrics in there that are like bummer. Here's the great, the great lyrics. It goes like this. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Now, when we get to that line right there, love to sing that, don't we? When life says it ought to be, and you're just sort of on the mountaintop, and things are good, man, it is easy to praise God in that, isn't it? Just, oh, yeah, God, I'm for what you're doing right now, because it's what I would want, that's what I would do if I was God in my life. I'm happy about that. Blessed be your name. Okay, now here's, here's the bummer lyrics. It goes on to say this. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Now, I don't know, but I think it might get quieter on that lyric right there, because we're all like on the road mark suffering. Or if we're involved in some trial of some kind, man, that's hard. It's harder to be worshipful and thankful when life is not the way that we think that it ought to be. And all of us can relate to this. I certainly can relate to this. One reason I'm doing this message is that, is that I, I need this. I'm in a, my life right now is more in the second than in the first. I'm in a time in my life right now where I feel God's refining work going on in me. In ways that I personally view as... Um, unpleasant, but I know are good for me. So this message, one of the great things about being senior pastor is you get to speak on what you want to speak on. And so in a way I'm doing this because I think this is going to be really good for me to preach on this. And I don't know if anybody here will be blessed by it, but I hope so. Uh, because it is all about me, right? That's the thing we repeat over and over again. They, it's all about him. If you didn't know is pastor Steve. So <laughs> Glad we could clarify that. Spurgeon used to tell his congregation, he used to say, when you are in the cellar of life, remember, the cellar is where the king keeps the finest wines. You realize that's more theological than, (laughs) wow. (laughs) Becoming a Christian is an act of faith. It is an act of faith. We believe. We come to the point where we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried, that he was resurrected on the third day, that he is alive, that he is Savior and Lord. And when I, when I, that is the gospel, and when I, when I apprehend that mentally and in the, in my soul, when I believe in that, 
I, we believe the Bible, that that's when God applies the redemptive benefits of Christ's work on our behalf, and we are saved from the wrath of God. It is faith that is the, the means by which those benefits are applied to us. Many people say, oh yeah, amen, I totally believe that. What we fail to recognize is that living the Christian life is also an act of faith. And it's not a different kind of faith. It is the same faith that I, when I, when I trusted in Jesus for my eternity, I was, I was giving, I, I'm, I'm, I'm resting in, I'm believing in what he has promised. As I live the Christian life, it's not a magical different faith that I come up with that now I need to live in the times of trial and the times of good. It is the application of the same faith that trusts in Christ for my eternity to trust him in the trial that I am facing. It is faith. We are saved by faith. We live by faith. We die by faith. It is faith. Nothing magical. It is the same. What is often missed in this, I think, is the, the word surrender. Saving faith is a kind of surrender. A giving over of my own desire to save myself, to earn my salvation, to, to merit in some way, to glory in it in some way, and to say essentially, Lord, I surrender to you. My life is no longer my own. My life is yours. The Bible makes that clear. I've been bought with a price. Christ has a rightful claim on my life. I am giving myself now to you, Jesus Christ, all that I am. Well, here's what happens, is that oftentimes we say that, but inwardly we still hold on to things, don't we? Oh yes, Jesus, you're my Lord. But actually, we have these things that we are gripping, we're holding on to, we want to control. Things like my future Things like my dreams, my family, my aspirations, my career, my children, my, my reputation, whatever it might be, there are things that we hold on to, even in spite of, you know, faith in Jesus, but inwardly we're, we're, we're gripping onto these things. And eventually what happens is, is that life requires the giving up of those things. Somewhere along the way, trials come where now these priorities that we have inside, these things that we want to control are being taken from us. And we feel them. It's, it's like our hands are going like this. Right? We don't want to give them up. We want to hold on to them. But eventually we give them up. Death is the ultimate giving up, is it not? Of everything that we want to temporally hold on to. Ever been to a funeral? Ever seen a body in a casket? I mean, all dignity is gone. There is, there, there, we don't look good. We can't talk. We're not there anymore. It is, there is, there is, it's gone. So, I think of the words of Frank Sinatra. The last words he ever said on, the, on his deathbed. He said, I'm losing. Friends, we can't lose what we don't view as ours in the first place. That's what I want to talk with you about. Living life with a loose grip from Acts 20. And you can turn there if you're not there. Acts 20. This truth is presented many places in Scripture, but I think very clearly here. Here's a situation in, uh, in the story. Paul uh, has been out. He's been 
planting churches. He's been preaching the gospel. He's on his way back now to Jerusalem. And he has, he spent three years in Ephesus uh, pastoring this church. He loves those people. He wants to talk to the elders, but he doesn't want to stop in Ephesus because everyone's going to be like, oh, Paul, you got to come over to my house. And he knew it would delay him. And so he sends for them. They meet him, the elders, that is. And he has a final exhortation. He knows he's never going to see them again. This is the last thing that he has to say. And I pick it up now in verse 18. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. But have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So essentially what Paul is doing here is he's, he's retelling the story of his time with them. You know the way that I was. You know the character of my life. You know what I spent my time doing when I was with you. You know these things. And I think what, what strikes me in just these verses, it's not the main point here, but it's just striking to me. Here's a guy that is completely sold out for Jesus Christ. I mean, he was like a laser. He, w- he was focused on one thing when he was with them. It says in verse 31 that he worked with day and night with tears, sincerity, enthusiasm, commitment, something I think we should admire and aspire to. Verse 22, and now compelled by the spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Okay, I've, I got basically two quick points. They're not my main point. Then I'll get to my, the main thing that I want to say. But just along the way, living life with a loose grip, we see here, first of all, requires faith in the uncertainties of life. Again, in verse 22, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm going to go anyway. There's uncertainty for Paul about what the future holds, yet it doesn't keep him from doing what he knows God wants him to do. This is faith in uncertainty. No doubt many of you are, have uncertain things right now in your life. You're not sure what's going to happen. What do we do in that? We apply the faith that trusted in Jesus for my eternity to now this much lesser thing in my life, yet creating uncertainty, and I live by faith. If I can trust God for my eternity, can I not trust him for this health issue or this, this job issue or this kid issue or whatever it is that we're facing? Absolutely yes. Faith in the uncertainty. He goes on to say in verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. You know, it's one thing to have faith in uncertainty. How about when you know something bad's going to happen? When you know, like the Holy Spirit here saying, oh, you keep going this way? Not that you're not to do it, but just so you know, you're going to prison, you're going to have hardship. Just want you to know that, Paul. What do you do when you know there are bad things that are, that, are, that are coming? It is the application of faith in those things as well. Paul did it. Okay, those are just two along the way points. Here now is the main thing. Look at verse uh, 24. And this is such a wonderful verse. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. 
Here is now is the principle. To live life with a loose grip is to do what Paul gives us this example here of. And it's a stunning statement that he says here. He's, he's, he's making a comparison, essentially. There are, there are two things. On the one side, I have my life. And on the other side, I have the mission. The gospel mission, gospel ministry. And he's making a value statement here between these two things. Now, by life, I don't take him to be referring to life in the, I'm made in the image of God, uh, life, human life is not valuable. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about my life, my self-management of my life, my control of my life, my, my holding on to my life and my dreams and my comfort and my aspirations. That aspect of life is something that is of no value to me. In fact, he says here, it is worth what? What's the word? One, two, three. Nothing. I would bet if one of us would say, you know what? For me, the gospel ministry is ultimate. My life is worth something to me, but not as much as gospel ministry. We'd go, oh, you are such a holy, godly man. But he doesn't say something. He says nothing. My life is worth Nothing to me. Think of that a moment. How many of us could even begin to make a statement like that? How could Paul make a statement like that? Well, here's the thing. It is a comparison. He is comparing it to something that is ultimate for him. All right? And that ultimate thing is fulfilling what God has called him to do. It is the gospel ministry. It is the things of eternity that are are ultimate to him. So think of it like a scale or, or maybe like a teeter-totter. Remember teeter-totters? Okay. On a teeter-totter, you you get on a teeter-totter with your friend. It's an interesting little moment because you've got to decide who gets to go up and who gets to go down. And you can look at each other and go, I'm going up. No, I'm going up. No, I'm going up. Well, you both can't go up. Can you? For one to go up, the other has to go down. And the same thing is true in our hearts. The more that we value Christ and the more that we value the Great Commission and the more that we value the things that matter in eternity, as those go up in our estimation, the treasure of our heart, there is simultaneously a going down of my controlling and management and valuing of the things that I maybe personally myself would want in my life. I want this much more now than I want this. You might think where the teeter-totter of your heart is even this morning. What is ultimate to you? What really matters to you? Self-management or the glory of Christ. So, Paul says that there is a mission. It is the gospel. It is the mission of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with as many people as we possibly can towards the goal of their salvation and their conforming to the likeness of Christ, which brings glory to Christ, the Son, and to the Father. So, My life is not precious to me. This is biblical language for what I'm calling living life with a loose grip. Not not holding on to the things that that are temporary. 
And the things that I maybe personally would, would value in and of myself, I'm not going to grip those things tightly. I'm going to hold them loosely. I'm not going to cling to the right to self-manage my life and to manage my future and to say, God, this is the way it needs to be in my life. Because, friends, frankly, here's the way it is for, for probably all of us. When God's providential will is taking our life in a path that we are sort of happy about, we are very for God in those moments, are we not? God, I love what you're doing. You are so wise. You are so good. I feel your love. I feel your presence. You are awesome. Blessed be your name. Okay? But what happens in life? There are eventually... And often for us, many times where what I want and what God is clearly wanting because he he is providentially leading my life, these are going in different directions. And now this is when, this is like the rubber meets the road for us. I discover in those moments what is most important to me and what is central to me and what I am living for. What, what, what do I treasure when life, God is taking my life this way and I don't like it and I don't want it? That's the bottom line. It's showing whether or not I am gripping on or I am with a loose grip holding to the values of my life. What happens for us is often when God takes our life this way, our natural response is to grip tighter, right? God's leading our life in a path we don't like, taking a a value of our heart of some kind in a way that we don't want. We want to then grip tighter to it, don't we? And it's almost like we're like this with God. You ever feel that way? We always lose. He's stronger than us. You know that, right? That's eventually what happens. That was silly. I don't know. But you you see what I'm saying. Or we respond fleshly to this with anger and bitterness towards God. If 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 you have bitterness in your heart this morning about something in your past, I wonder if it is not because it is something that God, a temporal thing, That God took in a direction that was not the way you think it ought to be. And even to this day, many people bound by bitterness. In in a way, bitterness is, is is a holding on to things of the past and refusing to give them to the Lord. So we wrestle with God over our family. We wrestle with God over our dreams. We wrestle with God over the directions of our life. We wrestle with God about our time, our money, our careers, whatever it is. And we grip tighter lest God or anybody else take control. That really is the issue, isn't it? It's about control. We are all control freaks. Okay, wine got a great big woohoo. Control freaks, silence. (laughs) An easy way to tell about whether this is a problem in our life is how we react when the Lord takes something from us that we value. Our health. A child living 
in some way contrary to the way we think it ought to be and our ego all bound up in having perfect children. A job. A relationship. In those moments, we find out who really is at the center of our life. Again, the song, you give and take away. You give and take away. Blessed be your name. Taken right from the words of Job, who lost everything and said those very words. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Gripping tighter is the flesh's response, but it's not, it's not the right one, and it's certainly not the one that Jesus called us to. How are we to respond? How are we to live? Luke 9, here's what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet to lose or forfeit his soul? Friends, we can, we can try to hold on to these things. And the, 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 control, the, the biggest control freak in this room can think that by doing this, I can manage my future. But what happens? Eventually, we have to give it up. We have to. Death is coming for all of us. I remember some years ago, I went, up to, uh, I went up to South Bend and got a tour of the Oliver Mansion in South Bend. And if any of you are looking for like a day trip to go do something, drive over to South Bend, walk around Notre Dame, really great architecture, go to uh, the Oliver Mansion. And uh, Mr. Oliver was a guy like 100 years ago, railroad tycoon, made tons of money, and he built this mansion. Um, that now is like a museum and you can go check it out. So I was there and I was on a tour of the Oliver mansion and the tour guide, uh, clearly was very impressed with the Olivers. And so we're doing on the tour and he's like, and this room, look at this, you know, and he's like, and this marble was imported from Hungary and, uh, and, and look at this right here. And you could just tell that this guy thought this was so like awesome, you know. So I was getting a little annoyed with it and decided to yank his chain a little. And I said, uh, (laughs) I said to him, I go, can I ask a question? I said, when Mr. Oliver died, how much did he leave? And he goes, millions. And I said, don't you mean he left everything? And the, the, the tour guide, he kind of like gave me that look like jerk, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but it's true. Mr. Oliver is dead right now. All the things that he did, they are of no value to him whatsoever. From the pharaohs to the railroad tycoons to normal people like you and me, we don't get to keep these things. And, 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 and Jesus is saying that. He's saying, listen. Don't live for things you don't get to keep anyway. Give them up now. Take up your cross, which is a symbol of dying to myself. Take up your cross and follow me. It takes, it takes two hands to carry a cross. You can't hold on to things and carry a cross at the same time. 
It is a dying to self and a following after Jesus and saying, I want what you want in my life. And that's what I think it means when he says that whoever loses his life for my sake will find it is that Jesus wants to produce in us real living. Holding on to things, gripping tightly, trying to manage and control fear of anybody impinging upon the things that I want in my life, building my fortress of my life, hiding behind the walls of my control is not human living. It is living by fear. Always afraid of who's going to take my future and what I want and what I have. It's mine. That's not human living as God intended. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The life that is the life of God in us is a life of freedom. It is a life of giving up of myself. And when I do that, I experience the life of Christ within me, which is real human living. It's the best life. It's the life of Christ in me. So we have to give it up eventually. Give your life to God and God will give your life to you. That's what this is saying. Or as Jim Elliott famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And friends, this is how Christians show. This is how we show to God, to the world, and to ourselves that Christ really is our treasure. It is not in the holding, it is in the giving. And the, the living of my life loosely Loosely, and my future, and my stuff, and my, all the values, loosely. These are not mine to keep. These are the Lord's. I give them off to him as an offering. The more we treasure him, the more we are willing to give for his sake. Now that sounds good, and it makes good preaching. But why is that so hard? And part of it, I think, is the culture that we live in where every day we are pounded with the opposite truth. John Piper says this about it. There is in the air an absolutely relentless message from every corner that you should be comfortable. Do yourself a favor. Minimize your pain. Maximize your pleasure. Reward yourself. The one with the most toys wins. Hardly anybody is saying, nor can anybody conceive, the message that he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel finds it. And so the message that the greatest life is the life of suffering, sacrifice, and risk is almost inconceivable in the modern American church. I think that he's right. So let's just be honest. Too often we do not live our life with a loose grip. We live our life with a firm grip. We live our life managing ourselves. And letting go is one of the hardest things that we do in life. Again, it's like... Did you get that? That's what it's like. But it is also one of the most wonderful things. Because now when I don't view these things as things that I have to control and manage and be afraid of, now there's no more fear. Now I'm living by faith and not by sight. I'm seeing in God his purposes and I'm trusting him. For the future. What do I have to fear? My life is not my own. Now you might ask, why would somebody do this? And Paul answers that in the latter part of this verse. If he says, if only I may finish the race and complete the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Which I'm saying here is that fulfilling the gospel mission for us is the ultimate priority. 
The gospel mission is the ultimate priority, which he calls here finishing the race. We see the image of that. We've all seen a marathon or some 100-yard dash or something like that where people start the race and they're supposed to finish the race. If you don't finish the race, it means that you're not really a runner. Runners finish the race. Pretenders don't. We must finish the race and complete the task defined here as testifying to the gospel of God's grace, which is another way of saying what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Why are we here? Jesus made it clear when he, right before he left, he said, listen, this is what I want you to do. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I taught you. And as you do it, know that I'm with you. That is the Great Commission. Why are we here? Why is Bethel Church here? Why are you here? This is for every Christian. Our priority, our focus is to be what God is doing in this world. And what he is doing is he is building his church. He didn't, Jesus didn't come and die for a school. He didn't come and die for a government. He didn't come and die for a nation. He came and he died for his church. And all these other things are not going to last on the other side of death. But the church will. So therefore, what ought we to be orienting our life around in terms of my purpose and what I'm going for and what I'm giving myself to? It, is, it ought to be the things that God is doing in this world and God is building his church. Now saying that, we can glorify God in every dimension of life, and we've spent a lot of time teaching about how, how all things are good gifts from God and can be enjoyed to his glory and all that. There's no false dichotomy in this at all. But if we don't have the center, if we don't have the focus, the main thing here, we're going to miss it. We ought to do all that we can with our time and talents and treasures to make disciples and to see that this is why I exist. This is why that I am here. Now, someone might ask at one of these gatherings, even this week, um, can I ask a question? Which I don't know if they're doing questions or not, but can I ask a question? Um, why, why, why would we want to do anything else? I mean, can't we just sort of say status quo is good? Like, look what God's done here already. Isn't this wonderful? Let's just like, stop, stop. Just enjoy where we, last weekend was like, let's just do weekends like that. Just keep those going. Just do that. Why think about something else? I'll answer that question right now. Because Christ is building his church and he's not done yet. Now, if he returns between now and Wednesday, I think you're going to have a really good point. But if he's not here yet, that means that he is not done adding disciples to his church. He is not done glorifying himself through the gospel. And the vehicle through which Christ has chosen to display the glory of his work is the local church. And Bethel Church is one of them. Which means that we are called by our Savior to make disciples more and more quality disciples of Christ by proclaiming the gospel to them and by teaching them and baptizing and all the things that the Great Commission has called us to do. 
And this is real life, and this is real living. And living life with a loose grip is, is again, think teeter-totter. It is, it is maximizing the, the importance of Christ and his ministry to the, to the lessening of the value and the preciousness of me. It is, it is letting go of some of the things that I can't hold on to anyway, that I don't get to take with me after I die. Giving those over to God now and experiencing the real life of Christ in this life. This is real living. Listen to the words of people who've done this. And these would be like the superheroes, okay? So I'm acknowledging that. But Lottie Moon said this, Surely there is no greater joy than saving souls. It was said of Amy Carmichael, who was the missionary single woman, went to India, spent decades serving orphans in a very difficult place in the country of India. It was said of her, her life was the most fragrant, the most joyfully sacrificial that I have ever known. Samuel Zwemer, 50 years of labor in gospel ministry, lost two children in the process, said this, the sheer joy of it all comes back. Gladly, I would do it all over again. Hudson Taylor and David Livingston, these are names that you probably know, missionaries in very difficult places, Africa and China, said this, I never made a sacrifice. You read their story, we'd be like, wow, what sacrifice? And from their perspective, there was no sacrifice in this. Okay. We have missionaries that occasionally will come to our church, and I have sat down with them. Like 50 years ago, they went to Africa, and... He was a doctor, and they went there. They just wanted to minister the gospel, and they wanted to set up a medical mission and to use it as an outpost for gospel ministry. And uh, they, they told me the story that they arrived on the shores of Africa, I don't know what country, and somebody gave them a lunch and pointed into the jungle. That's all they had. So off they went, he and his wife. They walk into the jungle. They establish a medical mission, a hospital. They serve there for a number of years. There's a rebellion, a civil war that happens in that country. The rebels are, are coming. They have to just throw things in a jeep or whatever it was and to take off for their lives. The rebels come. They destroy the hospital. They take all the drugs. The whole thing comes crashing down. I asked them if they would do it again. And their faces lit up and they said this, we would gladly do it again. It was wonderful. Now, friends, we can look at these stories and say, well, these are the superstars. And you know what? In a way that they are. What about normal? But what about normal old me? I'm living my life in Northwest Indiana. I, don't, I ain't going to Africa to do some medical mission. I've got, I got my brother and my mom and I've got, or I've got my kids and my husband or, I, you know, I'm just... <laughs> I, I'm just doing life. I mean, I, I, I don't see that so much. I'd be willing to do it, but I'm just here. What about me? Well, this is what I want you to realize is that living life with a loose grip is normal Christian living. Perhaps only in America would normal be holding on and hoarding and gripping tightly. Normal Christian living is, is giving of ourselves. And all we have to do is look to our savior for the ultimate example of this, which we celebrated, especially this past weekend, who in the garden said, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, may it be so yet not my will, but your will be done. He said, and on the cross, as he died, father into your hands, I commit, I give my spirit. What did Christ hold on to? Ultimately, nothing. He gave his life for us. 
And we look to him and we say, this is what it means to take up your cross and to follow a crucified Savior. It is the giving up of the things that I don't get to hold on to anyway. But in the giving up of it, I gain real living in this life and reward in the next. And so I just want to say this. I can't think of any more important cultural value for our church to ever become the kind of church that I think God wants it to be than this one. For our entire congregation to, to, to kind of like, to open the hands and to say, my life is not my own. I want my life, I want to value the things that Christ is doing and the gospel mission to the, to the, to the loss of my own self-management of the future so that I might see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I think if this permeated our church, we can only imagine what might happen. And time will tell. Time will tell. But I want to ask you, where's your heart today? Truly. Are you like, and just the fact that I preach this message, you're like offended. I think he's wanting to get something from me. And you walk out of here going, "Mm -mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Can I encourage you to loosen up a little and to trust the Lord? You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart can truly say, blessed be your name. Let's live lives of loose grip. Amen.